It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. I think we could describe this week as basketball hangover week. I think you could. A lot of late nights watching basketball games. I mean, these games don't come on until after nine o'clock. And I think a lot of North Carolina. Like, who stays up that late? I know. A lot of North Carolina. Not me, sir. Not me. <laughs> Just glued to their televisions. And, and then, you know, looking at the stands in New Orleans, it looked like a lot of North Carolina political leaders were there. <laughs> and seated together. Yeah. yeah, I was watching the halftime commentary Monday night. And if you saw Charles Barkley giving his analysis of the first half in the background, it was a little blurry, but you could see Governor Cooper going up and down the stand, shaking hands and talking to folks about the game. He was really pumped in that first half, I might add. Yeah, everyone was. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great photo in the News and Observer. I think photographer Robert Willett took it. And Governor Cooper is sitting there with Speaker Moore and Speaker Moore's son. And they just look like Christmas has been canceled. It was a really sad photo. Yeah, that side by side with the photo from Saturday night Mm -hmm. when Carolina won where Cooper and Speaker Moore are both elated. Mm -hmm. And then the one where they both look so disappointed and McRae, the Speaker's son, looks disappointed as well. It's just funny. It does show what a unifying force sports can be. You might have all of these differences, whether it's politics or religion or economics, but comes down to it, sports has a way of facilitating conversation. Good moment. Sad for UNC, though. What a loss. I mean, gave up the biggest lead in finals history. They had a 15-point lead going into that second half, and man, Kansas just turned it on. I heard some conversations saying that it doesn't really matter after the Duke-UNC game. Like, people are going to forget about Kansas. People are only going to remember, oh, that Final Four where Carolina beat Duke in Coach K's last game, and that's going to be what people took out of this tournament. Mm -hmm. And I saw that the Duke-Carolina game was, like, the second most watched sporting event in history. Yeah. My wife feels that way. Talked to her after she she you talked to your wife <laughs> I do I well, talked to her <laughs> once in a while the the next morning she had gone to sleep on the game and I said I'm sorry about your UNC team because you know she went to UNC she's like we won our championship we beat Duke yeah so it's like a dunk you're always gonna have on Duke folks and then the Duke people are always gonna have like well what happened after that game. <laughs> What comes next? Tell me. You know, so like you can kind of see both sides of that. I think one of the best March Madness tournaments I have seen in a long time from the first round all the way to the final game. It was great. Is that because there hasn't really been one last year? There were no fans the year before that. It was canceled. That's true. But anyway, we're we're moving on. Baseball season starts this weekend. Here we go. Here we go. Buckle up, folks. Yeah, go Cubs. This year is now. Brian likes to put the Cubs on the TV at the office, and he is a dedicated Cubs fan. Love the Cubs. Not a dedicated UNCG fan, but a dedicated (laughs) Cubs fan. (laughs) (laughs) 
getting into it. Since the General Assembly was supposed to be back in session this week, but nothing happened. Both chambers gaveled in, gaveled out. There's no news from that. But the big buzzworthy news continues to be at the D.C. level. Especially as it pertains to the elections. And there is no hotter race in the country than this U.S. Senate race here in North Carolina on the Republican side. We had a poll this week put out by WAVY, The Hill, and Emerson College. So this is just one poll that showed a lead change for the first time. According to this poll, Congressman Ted Budd, he represents that triad area currently in Congress. He has a 38% lead of Republican primary voters. Number two, Governor Pat McCrory is coming in at 22%. And then former Congressman Mark Walker, who is really just playing the spoiler, I believe, role in this campaign. He is also a former congressman from the Triad area. He's coming in at 9%. Now, all polling up until this poll has showed that Governor McCrory was in the lead. In fact, he was in double-digit leads going into the holidays last year. A lot of folks thought Governor McCrory would come out of this race, but then we had this delay in the election because we were supposed to be voting in March for this primary, and then we got caught up into redistricting. And so the primary got delayed until May 17th. And in the meantime, Congressman Bud has just been chipping away at the former governor, and it looks, if according to this poll, if this poll is correct, it looks like Governor McCrory might be in trouble in this U.S. Senate primary. The thing that that delay gave was more time for Ted Budd to get his name out there, his name ID up, and people knew who Pat McCrory was already. So, in those original polls, you were going off name ID only, but now we've seen the ads. It's, things have started to heat up, and he had more time to build that brand. Build that brand. It also allowed more time for these independent expenditures to come in and create ads on Congressman Bud's behalf. The biggest benefactor has been the Club for Growth. They have been just pumping millions of dollars into mailers. We've gotten some here at the office. We've seen the online content. We have seen the ads on our television screens. And it must have had an effect. Now, anytime you have an independent expenditure, Scott, you cannot coordinate with that independent expenditure. But I did notice something last week If you go on to Congressman Ted Budd's YouTube page, there is a 19-minute video that you can download. It's called Ted Budd B-Footage. This is footage of Ted Budd walking with his family. He's visiting old people. He's shaking hands. He's just being that all Americans, some are in some of the frames are in slow motion. It has no audio to it. And the intent here is that independent expenditures go to this YouTube site and you can download all the stock footage you want and you can create ads with it. 
So the Ted Budd campaign just really firing on all cylinders. And in the meantime, it just seems like Governor McCrory is just coming up flat. Now, Sky, we also saw in this poll that whoever emerges out of this Republican primary, and it looks to be Ted Budd, there's also a poll of how they fare with Democratic presumed nominee Sherry Beasley. The poll showed that Ted Budd in a head-to-head matchup against Sherry Beasley was favored to win. Yeah, by six or seven points. Again, early in the race. I think a lot of us think that this is going to be a bumper year for the Republican Party. This will be the top of the ticket. This will be your first election in November. But first, we got to get through the primary. Interesting to see how this plays out on May 17th and who will be accepting the nomination of the Republican Party. One person who may have an influence on the outcome of this election is former President Donald Trump. That's right. We got news that President Trump will be visiting North Carolina this weekend in Selma, um, not that far from Raleigh. Johnston County. Yeah. yeah. And he will be there with both Ted Budd and Madison Cawthorn. Yeah. This event is this Saturday. And again, you have two folks on the stage. Of course, Ted Budd, uh, you know, it's straight up. He has aligned himself. His message seems to be with Donald Trump. It is going to be interesting to see how Congressman Madison Cawthorn performs at this rally. He is certainly very much supported by President Trump. Which is interesting in this time that other politicians, other North Carolina politicians, and members of the Republican Party have decided that Last week with the orgies and cocaine, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for folks, that they were ready to distance themselves from him. But Trump has not done that. Has not. It'll be interesting to see who else is on the stage. These rallies tend to feature kind of a parade of politicians. So, of course, we know Bud and Cawthorn will be there. But what other politicians are going to show up? I imagine Senator Dillis won't be there. Senator Burt certainly won't be there. But who else will be? Who's tying their balloon to President Trump? And who is opting not to? This is a divisive debate that is going on within Republican circles. What role? does President Trump play in that party's future? You know, a fun fact is that when I first came to North Carolina, I, my first concert here was at the farm at Selva. What, what concert did you see? Scotty McCreary. <laughs> and it was my first introduction to Bojangles because there was a Bojangles van or something and there was this long line. So I thought it was like a meet and greet for like the artists, but it was actually just people waiting for Bojangles. <laughs> So, Sky, we get a lot of questions, especially after the General Assembly has adjourned. What do lobbyists do when the legislature is not in session? You hear from like your family or even legislators, like, what do you do when we're not in town? As if they're our whole lives. (laughs) 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 I think there's this idea because they're gone, the legislators that we just have it easy, that there's nothing to do. But I really think, and I've thought this a lot the last few weeks, like how did I ever get any work done while they were here? 
There's so much to do and so much in preparation for the coming session. But just as important, there's a lot of wrap up of the last session. Yeah, logistically, there are some issues with like making sure your clients get their appropriation, working with agencies on those sorts of things. Also, like we have a couple bills that we are working on in bill drafting. So like talking to the folks in bill drafting, rewriting bills, like working on the actual policy, checking other statutes, those sorts of things. Just basic prep work that you would do for a big project. So when the General Assembly comes back on May 18th, it's going to be a short session. By many accounts, it's going to be a real short session. And if you are waiting until May 18th for proposing bill language or filing a bill or even having a media plan, you are way too late. Yeah, you missed the train. We also hit the road a lot. In fact, we're leaving tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, but tomorrow you and I are heading to Charlotte. Yeah, we take a lot of road trips. We go to conferences talk, just spend a lot of time talking to our clients, talking about the future. We like to do a wrap up of session with our clients. Like what could we do better? And what did we do? Well, what did we do poorly? Those sorts of things. I also ramp up my legal work during this time. Mm -hmm. One of the other services we provide is we do a lot of communications work for our clients. So we're helping them communicate to their members if they're a membership organization. Yeah, you spent the last, what, two weeks just like heavily editing a long form newsletter. Yeah, yeah. The benefit of the General Assembly not being in town is that it does have a more relaxed atmosphere in the sense that, you know, we know we're focused here on office work. We don't have to wear a suit or we don't have to dress up. We tend to... Brian's wearing his favorite blue polo that he wears (laughs) three times a week. Can't do that when they're in session. That's right. I have three blue polos. Where's your light blue one? You haven't worn that in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get that back in rotation. (laughs) It's about this time when I'm looking forward to their return because even though I love the work just tell me you're tired of me jeez <laughs> gosh no I, I mean like is as much as you know we're just able to knock out our work I do enjoy that frenetic pace of the General Assembly you and I have said this we show up in the morning at the General Assembly and I feel like sometimes we just look at our watch and it's five o'clock already and the day just blows by definitely there's also a lot more comedy when the legislature's in town yeah so first you tell me that you're tired of me now you're telling me i'm not funny (laughs) (laughs) you are very funny so we have a few education clients which has us interacting a lot with the north carolina department of public instruction And we have really enjoyed working with the staff over there. And it's being led by State Superintendent Catherine Truitt. She is serving in her first term. She was just elected in 2020. She stopped by the office and had a conversation with us about her role at DPI. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. 
Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Superintendent Catherine Truitt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. To kick us off, tell us what your job is and what does your day look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, I am the state superintendent of public instruction. I am an elected official, and that also means that I am a member of the Council of State. Part of my daily job is keeping up with what is happening at the legislature, what's happening in the governor's office, what's happening with my fellow Council of State members, as well as everything that's happening you know, statewide, locally, and, and um, nationally in, in education. So my, my day is never the same day twice. Um, I'm in a lot of meetings, uh, some of which I'm running, some of which I'm just participating in. It's a pretty broad spectrum of daily activities. Plus, I'm in schools. I'm going, mm. going to go to visit two schools in Davidson County tomorrow. I have been in 25 school districts so far, and we are um, hoping to visit all 115 over the next three years. Your decision-making, is it mostly on the macro level, kind of broad decisions, and then you delegate what your day-to-day decisions are, or some micro, some macro? What does that look like? That's a really good question. It's, I would say it's definitely a mix. The Department of Public Instruction has about a $12 billion budget and 1,000 people at the agency, 650 of whom are at the department in Raleigh and the remaining are out in the field. Um, So I can't be micro in everything. And and my management style also is not to be a micromanager. I am 100% in the school of thought that you hire the best people and then get out of their way. But there are several projects where I am definitely making daily decisions on the micro level. Projects that I've started or am the champion for, I think those things absolutely demand that I know exactly what's going on every day. What is the relationship like institutionally between the superintendent and state board of education? And I have to be honest, Madam Superintendent, I've always been a little confused about the state board versus the superintendent. The people elect the state superintendent, Mm -hmm. but then there's this political appointed board by the governor. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Yes, absolutely. So what you're describing is our K-12 governance model. It's very different from the UNC system and the community college model, which both um, have appointed presidents. Our K-12 governance structure, as you described, is the only one of its kind in the whole country. No other state has the same K-12 governance model that we have. It's particularly problematic because, as you said, the state board is politically appointed, but they also have derived their power from the Constitution, from the state Constitution. So my position as an elected official, again, is also part of the state Constitution, Um, But my powers are not enumerated in the Constitution. So there was a a lawsuit about this many years ago. And what the courts ended up saying is that the state superintendent is responsible for running the day-to-day operations of the department, which includes 
carrying out the, the laws of the legislature and the policies from the State Board of Education, but that the state superintendent also has the ability to manage things internally as she sees fit. It doesn't seem very efficient. It's, it's not efficient at all, and it creates a constant tension mm-hmm. for whoever is in this role because they're caught between the legislature and the State Board of Education. Yeah. yeah. And I would say I definitely feel that pretty much every week. Yeah. So in addition to the legislature being the chief lobbyist for the children in our public schools and the teachers and the personnel, you also have to have that kind of relationship with the State Board, right? You, I mean, you have to figure out that sweet spot. Yes. We, we've seen years where there is no relationship there and there is no agreement on policy or a willingness to agree upon how we can improve outcomes for students and that is detrimental to everyone and of course students lose out the most Mm -hmm. and so the state board and i work very hard to present a joint set of um, legislative priorities as we did in the long session, and we will do so again in, in the short session. Um, but there's definitely give and take and compromise, no doubt about it. I think you referenced earlier some projects that you personally are working on or that you're spearheading. Can you talk about one or two of the projects that you're really passionate about? So I laid out my vision for improving our, our public schools and outcomes for students in something that's called Operation Polaris. So my North Star is that all children deserve an excellent and highly qualified teacher. And then the strategic plan itself, Operation Polaris, lays out all of these projects. And so I would say one of the projects that I've really been involved in is the implementation of the revamped Excellence in Public Schools Act, or Read to Achieve, Mm -hmm. uh, that came came out of Senator Berger's office. Right now in North Carolina, pre-pandemic, 67% of eighth graders were not reading on grade level when they start ninth grade. Mm. It's it, and when you disaggregate that, what you find is that less than a third of Hispanic students Mm. are reading on grade level and only 14% of African-American eighth graders are, 14%. We could have a whole other podcast about why that is, but the way that you fix that is to return to a phonics-based approach to early literacy instruction. And that is shorthand for what this new Read to Achieve legislation does. So we have used about $38 million of federal money to retrain all pre-K through fifth grade teachers in a science of reading approach to early literacy instruction. That The implementation of that legislation is something that, I mean, I, I actually took the training myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked alongside my director who is in charge of implementing this. I also created a task force within Operation Polaris that um, I attend all of those meetings. Um, And I have visited multiple schools that are in the process of receiving this training. And I've um, visited schools over the summer that were actually deploying the training with students um, during the the summer learning program. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's, I think, one of the most critical things that we could have done coming out of this pandemic was to get going on on changing that legislation, which I give full credit to Senator Berger for doing. He could have just kept doing what was in legislation, but he said, no, this isn't working. We're, we're going to um, listen to the experts, and that's exactly what he did. So that, that would be, I think, a, a great example of where I've kind of got my finger on the scale. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Can you talk about your journey in education, I understand you were a classroom teacher. And then we'd also like to know, how did you end up in North Carolina? I understand you have done a lot of traveling mm -hmm. in your adult life. Mm -hmm. So I was someone who always wanted to be a teacher. I am the granddaughter of teachers mm -hmm. and the, the daughter of um, teacher. My father has been teaching music for 55 years oh, wow. and is not retired. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. It's kind of crazy. But um, and so, yeah, I always wanted to be a teacher, and um, I got uh, an English degree, and then I, st I went to the University of Maryland. I met my husband, who was at the Naval Academy. We got married like a year after graduation, and we immediately started moving around. We've lived all up and down the East Coast, and then our first long-term duty station was Seattle. And so he was stationed on a submarine out there. And so I enrolled at the University of Washington's Graduate School of Education and got my master's in teaching. And my first year of teaching was in Seattle. And then we moved to Chicago right after that. Um, I taught for three years on the south side of Chicago. And then we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And then we moved to London. And we were in London for four years, and I taught in the British school system for, for three years. And then we, when he left the Navy, we ended up in North Carolina, okay. where, where we have family and, um, on, on his side of the family. And so my last three years in the classroom were actually in Johnston County at West Johnston High School, where okay. I taught high school English. What years were those? Uh, 2009 to 2012. Okay. And then from 2012 to 2015, I became what's known as a turnaround coach in yeah. in high poverty schools um, nationally. Um, and I did that for three years. Oh, okay. And so we have turnaround coaches at DPI, right? We do. Yeah, mm -hmm. going to Halifax County and uh, other absolutely. places. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And some states don't have people like that at their state education agency, and so they hire people to come in and, and do that work. And so um, I had projects all over the country in a lot of um, high poverty rural areas and then so I kind of had that um, I'm sorry in urban areas so I had the rural experience in Johnston County and then I had the urban experience as a, as a turnaround coach and then in it, towards the end of 2015 I got a call from Pat McCrory's chief of staff who said he had a copy of my resume and would I be interested in interviewing to be his new education advisor okay and I said to my husband but I don't know anything about education policy. And he said, oh my gosh, you do. You talk about it all the time. You just don't realize that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Coming into Raleigh, that had to be a complete change. How did you adapt to being this policy advisor on education? Well, talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. I, I had it in spades. I mean, I can remember I had an intern 
uh, in the office, and I remember she was from Carolina, and she's now my chief of staff. Okay, <laughs> Shelby Armentrout. Charles Shelby Armentrout. She's great. Shelby the Great. Yeah. Um, and I said, "Can you help me understand the difference between the governor's cabinet and the council of state? I don't know who's on what. I mean, that's how little I knew. Right. I could talk about education all the live long day, and mm-hmm. I could talk about." Um, you know, what works in education, what doesn't work in education, what are our problems, what are the solutions? But I didn't know who the players were. I mean, it's a very incestuous oh, yeah. group in Raleigh, right? And very confusing and convoluted. That's natural <laughs> yes. to think that. Yes, exactly. So I, I never turned down a meeting. Good. I mean, everyone wants to meet with the governor's education advisor, right? right? So I never turned down a meeting. I learned as much as I could in as short a period as I could. There, it was an interesting time research-wise. There was a lot of research coming out at the time about the role of the principal in schools, mm. and principals often get left out of legislative agendas mm. because teachers tend to take up that space. And we were also, the, the Lumina Foundation data had just come out that said North Carolina is going to need to have 67% of its workforce with training and education beyond high school. And right now, y'all only have 54% with training and education. Right. And this eventually became my future, my future NC, our state's workforce and education goal. So there, there was a, a lot of interesting things happening in education right there. We were seeing record pay raises for teachers coming out of the recession. Yeah, it was just a fascinating time to, to be in education. So that was 2015, 2016. Governor Cooper is elected. What did you do between 2016 and 2020? So unfortunately, right before, a couple of months before the election, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, I had to go to to Mayor Pat (laughs) and say, I'm going to have to take a little break. I I, I had to have surgery, and uh, that was before, I was able to put... I, was, I had to have the surgery before the election, but I was able to put off starting chemo until after the election. Um, and of course, he was just my biggest champion. And he Bad. said, "You don't even think about the election. All that matters is that you take care of yourself. But Margaret Spellings came to me right after the election, and she said, I have a job waiting for you when you're better. Wow. And I went and worked worked for her managing all of the K-12 legislation that sat at UNC General Administration, okay. like teaching fellows, principal fellows. Um, there, were, there were lots of projects going on that were the responsibility of the UNC General Administration, but they were K-12 projects. Yeah. And Margaret Spellings was the president, for those mm-hmm. unfamiliar, over at the UNC system. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you did that. I did that. And then... Um, while Governor McCrory was still in office, Western Governors University, which is a, a national nonprofit, 100% online, competency-based university, the only kind, the only one of its kind in the country, the legislature and the governor had worked together to allow WGU to launch a state affiliate here in North Carolina. Okay. And they came back to me probably... In 2017, they came back to me and they said, we want you to lead WGU North Carolina. We want you to be its chancellor. And again, I said, you know, um, I'm not an expert in higher education. (laughs) But I said yes. And three years later, we had grown to about 4,400 students, mainly adults who 
were not successful in higher education the first time, WGU is a very specific model okay. that works for adults who work while they are returning mm-hmm. to higher education. So 2016 to 2020, we had a superintendent, Mark Johnson. He defeated uh, Superintendent June Atkinson. Then he does not run for re-election in 2020, and you step up. Uh, it was a crowded primary field. Am I correct about that? It was crowded um, for the Democrats. Okay. On the on the Republican side, it was Representative Craig Horn, yeah. who has a special place in so many people's sure. hearts, including my own. So it was difficult to to run against each other, but but obviously I, I prevailed, and this ran in my first ever election. You're a classroom teacher. Ten years prior, you're doing the turnaround. You hesitantly get into policy work, Mm -hmm. but then a short time later, you're on the ballot statewide Mm -hmm. wanting to run the Department of Public Instruction. Walk us through what's going through your brain here. Well, this is so cliche, and I know every elected official says this, (laughs) but people asked me if I would consider doing this. And it's funny because a couple of years before, someone at WGU said to me, would you ever consider running for anything? And I said, hell no. (laughs) I, I couldn't even ask someone to put up a yard sign with my name on it, let alone ask for money. There's no way I will ever run for anything. Well, never say never. So... Yeah, when I declared there was no critical race theory, there was no pandemic. I mean, <laughs> I, I just thought I was going to have to tough it out in a primary and then tough it out in a general election and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, it, it's a really hard race to raise money for. When all was said and done, I raised about $80,000 for wow. a statewide race. It was wow. not very much. Education has really been at the forefront of politics, I mean, forever, but this year it's been highlighted at the school board level, at the Mm -hmm. statewide level, and nationally. What do you think has been the biggest issue that you've dealt with since coming into office that maybe you didn't expect? Yes, before the pandemic, education was political. When when that much money is... I I always laugh when people talk about nonprofit versus, you know, that education should be nonprofit. There's so much profit in education. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, um, there is is money to be made and and there's, you know, the blood is... The sharks smell the blood in the water right now with all of the American Rescue Plan Mm -hmm. money that came to education, etc. But yeah, with, when there's that much money involved, it's bound to be political. You know, what What has surprised me is the amount of misinformation yeah. that's out there. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's staggering to me how much of it gets distorted on both sides of the aisle in terms of media. I'm amazed at how someone will read a blog post, take it as gospel, and then email me and say, what in the world is wrong with you that right. you would do this? And it's like, well, wait a minute. This this isn't true. There is not an ounce of truth in what you read. Yeah. That's been very surprising. I also think that even in areas that we think are, you know, whether we lean this way or we lean that way, there's some truth in everything that, yeah. that we're hearing right now. I mean, do I think parents should be determining curriculum well that's i don't know that that's really what we mean when we say parents should be determining curriculum i think parents 
feel like they are often in the dark Mm -hmm. about what's happening at their children's school. But I think it's been that way for a really long time and that it just has, you know, the pandemic and kids being at home so much really brought it, brought it to light. One of the things that, that surprises me also is how unwilling some people are to listen. Yeah. And, and I think that we as humans always want to be heard, right? Whatever, whatever I do, whatever you do, whatever you do, Sky, makes sense to us at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people just want to be relevant yeah. and people want to have a voice. And when they don't feel like they have one, it drives them to decisions that maybe we wouldn't make. And I think we ignore that at our peril. It's hard to listen to people in a political, politically charged time. Yeah. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but, but it is because you, you, sometimes you, it's hard to figure out what's true and what isn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How are you dealing with the really entrenched political powers here in this city, in Raleigh, Mm -hmm. that are interested in education. You want to make change. You want to do what is right or what you think is right, but you just can't get a break, right? Yeah. Yeah, it it does feel like that most days. It reminds me of um, Governor Haslam was interviewed once, and the interviewer asked him about who does he surround himself with, and he said, I surround myself with people who will tell me that I'm not the greatest thing in the world, but I'm also not pond scum. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I feel that way frequently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three children at home too, who have no problem telling me that I'm not the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. So um, yeah, I, I think that I constantly remind myself when, when I am frustrated with, let's say the legislature, mm-hmm they're using the tools that they have at their disposal, right? They, they have local constituents that they need to worry about, but if they are a chair, they're making broader law for the state. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, my goal is always going to be to partner with the legislature. Yeah. But there are other kind of, you know, in, entrenched organizations and people who, if they were if a, if a reporter asked a lot of NGOs or nonprofits or, or other kinds of nonprofits, you know, well, what do you think about this? Where are we with this? And they said, oh, my gosh, we made so much progress. We're, we are good to go. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're out of a job. So it, right. it kind of behooves them yeah. to say publicly, oh, we are nowhere near where we're supposed to be, which is very disingenuous. Right. And again, it just goes back to what's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's very difficult to, to grapple with the idea that you can't please all the people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But if their friends, if they're, and I'm talking about the entrenched groups now, if their friends are doing something, it could be minuscule. It could celebrate it as the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, just to be fair, if a Republican does it, it's bad. Right. If a Democrat does it, it's good. And then there are other organizations that flip that script. That's right. right. My favorite myth out there, and that just kills me every time, 
is how education funding works in North Carolina. Right. How everybody says we need to move to an equitable model of funding when the truth is that that is the model we have. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say it's enough, but let's be clear. We give more money to schools that are high poverty than we do to their wealthier counterparts. We give more money to students who are uh, exceptional children and have some sort of learning difficulty designation. We give more money to students who are English language learners and we give more money to students who are economically disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. In fact, we give 33% more to economically disadvantaged schools than to to our 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 top quartile of economically disadvantaged schools than than other schools Um, when you look at the the way that we fund schools in north carolina in that every student has a uh, you know that the majority of the funding comes from the state not from local property taxes that's flipped in many other states especially up north right and so while 23 percent of the funding does come from the locals, and that's where the inequity lies. Mm-hmm. In many other states, 70% of the funding comes from the locals. Right. So I, I, I'm not saying we don't have work to do, but let's, I always come at these conversations with, let's look at what the data says. Right. We can't make the changes that we need to make unless we're starting from a common place that, right. is, that is rooted in fact. No fact-free zones allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so... What do you think is the most rewarding part of your job? Oh, well, by far going into the schools. I I go in to so many schools that are doing amazing things that no one is ever going to hear about. And they are doing things that are innovative, that maybe are not at scale, but they are you know, innovative in that building in the time that we live. Do you have a favorite teacher? Yes. My favorite teacher was Peggy Jamison. Okay. And she was my seventh grade reading teacher. And she, I'm sorry, eighth grade reading teacher. And she, she was my favorite teacher because I just wanted to, in middle school, just wanted to sit in a corner and read. I could have just sat at school and read all day. And she normalized that for me. Like she really made me feel like that was, that was okay. And I also remember that we did a lot of pro like project-based learning wasn't really a thing in the eighties, I think. And I can remember doing lots of projects in her room, in her class. And she was just, you know, such a delightful, um, she was an older lady, although she probably wasn't. I just, (laughs) (laughs) just, I recollect my 13 year old self. That's right. right. Is she still around? Does she know you're the state superintendent? You know what? So I was, I had to think about this for something else several months ago and I did, she's retired, but I did find her and I'm trying to track down her at, she lives in Ohio. I'm trying to track down her address so that I can reach out to her. There's nothing better than a really good teacher. Oh, it is so true. <laughs> I mean, really so true. And make or break you. It is so yes. great. A and great all teacher. kids deserve a really great teacher. Yeah, everyone. As you have highlighted today, our politics are super polarized. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about the way we go about politics or an issue, if there's an issue that you could just snap your fingers and it would change, what would that one thing be? Well, it's funny you put it that way because people often say, 
why can't you just wave a wand and fix this? And it's like, well, because I, I can't. I, right. I, I, can't. I don't have the authority to do that. Um, but here you do. But here, but here I do. <laughs> I would say that my role should not be elected. Wow. Mm. Yep. I think it should be decided upon the same way that we do the community college system and the UNC system. Wow. Yeah, I think it's very problematic that this role has to fundraise. I think it's problematic that it is partisan and the state board is partisan. Yeah. Right. Of all of the things that I have on my plate, trying to rise above politics shouldn't be one of them. I agree. It's hard, right? It it is hard. And if I weren't elected, I wouldn't have to worry so much about trying to rise above politics. I mean... I want to keep students at the center of everything I do. I don't want to have to worry about fundraising. I don't want to have to worry about running for re-election. You know, I, I would rather have a, a performance review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see that. Well, State Superintendent Catherine Truitt, we appreciate everything you do for the state of North Carolina, everything you do for our schools. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Brian, and thanks, Guy. It was really fun. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. She was so fun to talk to and had such an interesting background starting she was in schools 10 years ago and now she's the state superintendent and what a timeline and all the knowledge she's gained along the way and how she's using that to affect the state tweet Tweet of of the the week. week this week's tweet of the week is from senator woodard he is at mike woodard he tweeted on sunday It's a picture of Governor Cooper, and you can see behind him that Speaker Moore's talking to someone, and when you zoom in, it looks like they have very similar shirts on, and Senator Woodard tweeted, I'm for bipartisanship, but aren't matching shirts going a little too far? (laughs) Good tweet. Thank you, Senator Woodard. You know, Senator Woodard has said on Twitter recently that... He feels that we give too much mention to a certain senator from Robeson County. He's, he's said this a few times. And I would like for us to just, for a moment, talk about how great Senator Mike Woodard is. <laughs> Thank you for taking that moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we love Senator. He's a great guy. He's one of our first guests on the podcast. I think he was third or fourth. Go back and listen to that interview. He, he's really a great guy, down-to-earth guy, a good senator, has a great sense of humor, and manages really, I believe, to work well with the majority party. So when we had Senator Woodard on the podcast, this was about a year ago, afterwards, he wanted us to stop by his office for something and he had written us a thank you note 
and had included a pair of tweezers for Brian's nose hairs. And the <laughs> sad fact of this is, folks, we've used them. <laughs> we have, yeah. We love a practical gift. Senator Woodard's a good guy. We're going to have him back on the show. We've well, got... he's going to be in the musical, so. Oh, that's right. He posted about your... We have open auditions. Just show up at the office anytime. <laughs> Between eight and six, we'll be here and we'll be ready to take your auditions. Yeah, so you're playing Laura on General Hospital the Musical, and we think Senator Woodard will play Luke in this kind of famous wedding episode from the 1980s. Now, here's the thing about Senator Woodard is that if you dig into social media, there are a few videos of Senator Woodard dancing in Durham. You know, he's got some skills. I think I think he could do it. I think he could pull off the singing and dancing. The question is, can he act? Can I act? I think you can. Can I sing? I think you sing like a like an angel. Mm. I had a gun to his head. <laughs> As Brian noted, we're going on a road trip tomorrow, and you know that means road trip content. <laughs> heading to Charlotte in the morning. We're going to be down there for an event sponsored by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association, which is a proud sponsor of this podcast. We're going to be hanging out with some legislators and just really celebrating some of the great work we got done at the General Assembly this last session as it pertains to the hotel industry and all the good work that they are doing across the state it's gonna be fun we got to make some videos some instagrams so you gotta pay attention to that (laughs) some instagrams yeah brian doesn't really know how to work instagram but that's okay i have no idea what's going on on instagram but i do know this you post something to our instagram account i basically do two things i put a heart on it (laughs) And then I share it to my story. Good job. Yeah. 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 I'm more of a Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn kind of person. Mm. Well, you're going to have to be an Instagram kind of person because it's 2022. Yeah. You do a good job running our Instagram page. Thank you. You love a good road trip, though. I love a road trip. And um, I am a passenger princess like I didn't I do not want to drive ever I'm fine with you driving my car I'm fine with us taking your car but your girl's not driving you know that Mm -hmm. and I run our musical selections Mm -hmm. and then we sing along I do have a lot of fun on road trips with you sometimes we call people Shout out to Virginia Reed for talking to us for 40 minutes last time we went on a road trip. Senator Woodard talks to us on road trips. Yeah. So again, feel free to give us a call. We'll be traveling back on Friday morning. So if you want to call and hear about what happened, we're happy to talk. Yeah. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We always like good feedback, especially when it's good feedback. Yeah. If it's bad feedback, please don't take the time. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. Well, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you. You got plans for the weekend? No, dear. I'm going to go watch some baseball. Looking forward to seeing that. I got to get my Cubs subscription filed. And then it is Julie's birthday on Saturday. So looking Is there for- a birthday party? There's Cause, not a birthday party. Because I didn't get it. I've got to get these gifts ordered. Yeah, you do. Mm. You got to do that today. 
Yeah. Until next week, thank you for taking the time to listen. Reach out to us about the podcast. If you'd like to hear something in the future, let us know. Until we speak again, please remember to do politics better. I was a little confused then. Re, 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 let's well, you re- do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. Boy, I want to.